back in action, ladies and gentlemen. Jeffrey Wilson rolling shotgun with UFC Hall of Famer as we await the appearance of Mr. Randy Couture. But let me tell you something. We have a great guest in-house already, and he's also the co-host, who is also a champ, who's also come from some pretty freaking ornery upbringings, if you will, to become champion of the world. Patrick J., you're going to be an impromptu guest for a moment, dude. So champions aren't necessarily bred out of... Uh, Lily white dreams and sunshine and rainbows, my friend. You uh, you went through the crucible to do what you did. What was not everybody is cut out to get punched in the face, dude, and to do what you guys did. Military fighting system was literally like the New York Yankees for a while, just pumping out champion after champion. But when when what, <laughs> ding, what uh, what was the impetus, dude? I mean, I know did you always want to be a fighter? I know you were always into martial arts and stuff like that. But you did you kind of have an idea that fighting the way you went and coaching etc was going to be your path and what forged that? No, I you know in my mind, gosh, I, like I've said before, I planned on playing football for Iowa. I, football was my love. I felt that I was going to be playing linebacker for the University of Iowa and move on to the NFL. It was a sure thing. Uh, very dedicated football player. I wrestled to stay in shape for football Smart. because I, I knew that knowing how to wrestle made you a great defensive player, being able to bring people down, tackle, you know, all those skills. Absolutely. Get rid of blockers, everything else. So it, it, wrestling was just kind of a byproduct of wanting to be great at football. I just quit growing at some point, probably from cutting weight, starting and in sixth said grade. That before, yeah. Yeah, starving myself. And, you know, it just, it just worked out the way it did. And uh, I had gone to school for marketing and and my i you know my mother had health problems before but she you know took a turn for the worse health you know her heart problems and things like that and so i just decided that i have no really other option was to just go home and get a couple jobs and try and pay the bills and and do the best i could as, as, as i said right. my mother was a very intelligent person she was a university of iowa grad a, a nursing director at moline public hospital that no longer exists actually um she was the you know, one of the head people at the School of Nursing there mm -hmm. and <clears throat> loved what she did. She was very passionate about nursing. And so uh, she took care of me. I mean, my dad left when I was eight and, you know, she stuck it out and took care of me. So I figured it was time for me to go and take care of her. Absolutely. And it just it happened. This It's the way things go down, you know, with it's it's almost destiny. Yeah. I was pouring concrete for a company called Hawkeye Paving and. The one of the head guys on the crew, who was also the diesel mechanic and mechanic for all the equipment, a guy named Keith, was a brown or black belt in karate and a kickboxer. And he said, a karate man can destroy a wrestler anytime. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, at, lunch at, at lunchtime, why don't we go out in the field and we'll just get after it, right? We'll, we'll put my <laughs> wrestling against your karate and let's see how that works out for you. So we went out in the field. Ugly. You know, I mauled him. I took him down and... And slapped him around a little bit, and he gave me a free week pass to a, a local karate school. So I went there, took free lessons, basically learning how to do up blocks, down blocks, run katas, which I found extremely boring. I thought, well, what what am I doing here? This is yeah. this is ridiculous. And then on Friday, I saw the black belts. It was a black belt sparring class, so all the black belts were beating the tar out of each other. And I said, this is it. This is exactly why I'm here. <laughs> so I went in. I signed up for a black belt course. I got all my equipment and showed up. And, and Mark Hansen, who's a good buddy of mine, yeah, we were, we were best buddies for many years. We, we don't get a chance to hang out much anymore. But Mark, I walked into the place and went to go to my first real class. 
and Mark Kelling, or I mean, not Mark Kelling, I apologize, he's a Bettner police officer, but Mark Hansen, who played football for you and I, was a Davenport Central grad, Mark Hansen, a monster of a man, uh, was in there as a red belt, that was the next belt up from white belt, and he and I had had two fights, two street fights with each other when we were in college, over, you know, some trivial stuff, of course, of when course. we were in college, of course. but we had two knockdown dragouts with each other. One was one took place in a, a bar in downtown Bettendorf when we were in college, and then one took place in Duck Creek Park um, to, to settle the deal, right? Because we didn't get to finish in, in the bar. Right. But ultimately, I thought, I can't get rid of this guy. This, this guy haunts me forever. <laughs> so our instructor at the time had us every Friday was sparring, so he put us together against each other because he knew our background. Yeah. So we beat the animosity out of each other. And became best friends. He became the best man in my wedding. I became the best man in his wedding. We trained together for many, many years. He, I think, lost only one fight as a mixed martial artist in his career. Was one of the top ten ranked heavyweights in the world. And he cornered me for nearly all of my career throughout the UFC. And so that was, that was it. But so that's really how it got started. Was was that way and. And then the UFC you, came mean, along. I was, you know, I was fighting in, in kickboxing and Muay Thai, had a black belt in, in karate also, and just started to become a well-rounded striker after my wrestling career and everything else. Spent a lot of time down at Pena's boxing also. Yeah. Sparring with a lot of great boxers to, to perfect my my skills. And, and then the UFC came along, and I said, my sport has just been created. Right. Literally. It was it was literally handmade for me. Perfect story. And that's that's how, yeah, it, that's how it all that's all how it all came together. Well, and when you made that proclamation that you are you have decided to do this and be a champion, did you get a resounding, "Yeah, we know you're going to do it," or did you have, you know, did you have your your share of haters, if you will? Nobody believed me except my mother. No, not one person. Wow. Everyone laughed at me. I actually had a guy who taught me kickboxing, the finer points of kickboxing. He was a United States kickboxing champion, and we were riding home from practice one day, and he goes, he goes, hey, man, he goes, let me, let me just talk to you for a second. He goes, um, this whole you know, world champion thing, he goes, that's probably passed you by at this point, right? Well, you didn't start as a kid. You know, you probably, you know, you're probably kind of, you know, you're going uphill right now. You're swimming, you're swimming against, the, against yeah. the current. And, you know, I, I just don't, I, I don't, you know, I don't think it's very likely that you're going to, you know, win a title. And also the, you know, the current, the political current that we were dealing with at the time. Oh, John McCain. was and, so out of control. Yeah. I mean, I was doing televised debates with politicians to keep the sport legal in the states that I was scheduled to fight in. So that was, you know, an added stressor to just training Fighting. for a fight, staying yeah. healthy, you know, making sure your opponent stays healthy. But then you're trying to keep it legal in that state. So I was dealing with a lot of, a lot of different stuff. But even uh, my instructor and his brother, who was kind of the, the, the manager of the gym, Said, you know, you, you should just open a karate school and just forget about all this fighting stuff, and uh, you know, because it's it's not going to be legal. It's just not going to be legal. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, at that point, I said, all right, I'm going to go somewhere else, start my own thing, and open my own gym, and that's what I did. And you know, the rest is history on that. Yeah. And it just comes down to faith and passion, brother. It just comes dedication, down to faith and passion man. and dedication. And I just started training like a madman, and and had that dream that I was I was going to do it, and I I really wasn't thinking of failure at any given time during that time in my life it was almost impossible to fail i just refused to to refuse to fail at that point well i mean almost going back to our conversation with your leadville guys and like you training for leadville this year i mean a lot of this whole pursuit of being a champion being in leadville etc there's a physical aspect obviously and then there's a huge huge mental aspect i think it's all mental it literally is all mental if you can 
that's that's the part that you have to first convince yourself that you can do it, that it's attainable. You have to be able to be willing to pay the price. You have to be willing to put everything aside in life. You know that like that's the only thing that matters, literally. For sure. And especially when you have so many people doubting you, you know that could easily get into your head. Well, maybe it has passed me by. Maybe I can't do it. You know what I mean? All that's kind of well. The, the more people said things like that, the more determined I was. Right. Exactly. You know, there was no. Don't tell me I can't do something. It almost added to my energy force. Right. You know, the more people doubted me, and and um, you know all those people that that I used to hang out with, that I was hanging out with, those they no longer existed. They just crucial. They, they were they were written off into the annals of history. Yeah, in my life, and the only thing that mattered was the bodies that I was training with, and the people that I was gathering my my knowledge from. Right, those were the only people that really mattered to me, and the people that supported me, which was my mother. Well, again, we've talked about it on the show. The assembly of the right team is absolutely integral. I mean, you can't have people who are on the fence or think you can't do it when you're talking about doing something so high level. You know, I mean, it's crucial to be around the right people, right mindset, the right attitude. Correct. And, I, you know, it goes to the point of, you know, I didn't have any money at that time. You know, so I was living off. I would boil chickens, and then I would strip all the meat off and put it in Tupperware. I would steam a bunch of broccoli, put it in Tupperware. I would cook a bunch of rice, put it in Tupperware. I would hard boil, you know, 72 eggs at a time and put it in <laughs> giant Tupperware. And that's what I lived on. Meal preps. That's all I lived on for I don't even know how many years. And chicken breast. A lot of chicken breast. That's right. why I won't eat chicken breast anymore. Because <laughs> it was so dry and, and grainy. You know, I dump hot sauce on it. Of course. And you know, salt, I don't of course. Wanna, no, back then, no. Oh, okay. No. Because I didn't I didn't want to do anything detrimental to number one, I didn't want to gain any weight, any fat. I was, you know, probably six percent body fat at the time, whatever right. it was. You know, you just walk around, you just try to be perfect in every way shape or any any way you can and even after training would be done i'd lay in bed have a fight coming up and i would just stay wide awake because i'm visualizing the fight over and over and over visualizing myself in bad positions good positions getting out of horrible situations the crowd noise this that and putting yourself in that position over and over of any situation that could end up in the fight so that you're familiar with it mentally yeah that you've seen yourself there and figured out ways out of it visualization but then it would get to the point where I would visualize the other guy training while I was trying to sleep. And then I'd jump out of bed and throw on my running shoes and go run five miles. Yeah. You know, just at one o'clock in the morning. Just right. crazy stuff. Right. Because they could not outtrain me. Right, right, right. They could not outtrain me. So I had to be. Like Marvelous Marvin Hagler called it. He had to get out of jail when he would prepare for a fight. He's called going to jail. He just cut himself off from the world and women and all the, you know, the trappings. Yeah. Yeah. To, that's, to, that's the way it, that's the way it really had to be. And, you know, the guys that, that trained with me that lasted. You know, there's some great stories. Um, you know, some of the great war stuff. Back in those days, you know, we would have what's called dojo busting. And dojo busting days were the wild west of martial arts, right? Mm-hmm. Because the mixed martial artists came along, the jiu-jitsu, the wrestlers, the, yeah. the guys with the combination of that sort of stuff. And the traditional martial artists were very, very offended by that, okay? Mm. So what would happen is my instructor would call me and say, hey, we've got three guys from... Ohio that are traveling to wherever they're driving to California but they stopped here and they want the they want to fight the toughest guys in the gym right and they would do this at my place also when I opened my own first my first gym at Ultimate Fitness yeah I rented a racquetball court and put wrestling mats on the floor and the wall 
And these people would show up, and they'd be national champions in, you know, I'm a black belt sash in kung fu, and I'm a, you know, world champion in taekwondo and all these other things. Yeah. The traditional martial artists wanted to prove that their art was still valid in the world. Yes. Okay? And, of course, our proving ground was all out in a cage. You better know how to fight type yeah. stuff. Right. So the the traditional martial arts had been watered down in many cases in our country, and, you know, it was the... The, the, their instructors were the guys that would say, you know, I'd get into I'd get into ultimate fighting, but you know, I am a one touch one kill kind of guy, and I can't <laughs> I can't possibly do that sort of stuff. These are registered as lethal weapons. You know? If I touch you, I could go to jail and, for murder. And so anyway, you know, we would have these guys show up to the gym, and we would put it on them. Yeah. I mean, we'd put it on them because it's when a guy walks into your gym and says, I can I can put it on you. Yeah. You, that's like a guy walking into your house yeah. and saying, I'm going to fight you in your living room. They're not, they're really not smart about it. Right. So the fight is on. And we had some amazing fights. And I'll tell you that Mark Hansen proved his medal one time where uh, there was a guy, this is when Mark was on, he was out on the streets, you know, working the beat. And a, a real big guy who was part of one of the local gangs, and he it, it was a good wrestler also. This kid had wrestled in high school, was state place winner. Mm. But this guy's like 6'5", 280. This, guy's, this is a big man. man. And so Mark Hansen told me, he said, you know, there might be a guy showing up this morning who challenged me to fight last night. And I told him to come to the gym, said we'd be here at 9 a.m. till noon training. And so he might actually show up. He seemed pretty serious. And I said, ah, he's not going to come. But what he said is, it was after after Mark Hansen lost to Yasunori Matsumoto. And uh, Mark destroyed Matsumoto for 15 minutes and then ran out of gas, and Matsumoto came back on him and, and ended up winning the fight. Yeah. So anyway, this, this, uh, this gang member said, I saw you fight that little China man, and this is the way, this is his, I'm quoting exactly right, the way right, he said right. it. I saw you fight him. You couldn't beat him. You certainly can't beat me. And so Mark said, look, we'll be training at the gym if you want to come there, and, you know, we can, we can do that. So they fought, and Mark, Mark, ended, he got to, Mark got taken down. This guy knew how to wrestle. And Mark defended himself real well on the ground, ended up reversing position, ended up on top, and put it on this guy, put it on him bad. And so we, bad. so we broke up the fight, and he, you know, the, the, the gang member got up like a gentleman, turned around, shook Mark's hand, and said, you know what, you're a better man than me. Hats off to you. Hmm. And there was a gentleman's understanding at that point, and that was always good. Yeah. You know, so there was a lot of that that went on back in those days. Dojo busting. That was, yeah, it was called dojo busting, and it was, it was, very, it was very entertaining. Oh, I'm sure. Very intense. And, and so, you know, it's, it's true testing of styles of martial arts against one another. It was, it was a laboratory. Did you ever see any, any outsider come in and, and take out one of your guys or somebody who was from Never. Never. Okay. Not one time. Not one time. It never happened. Yeah, so. that's that's some old that's some old like uh, Kumite type. What's that movie? Bloodsport. Yeah, like the Kumite, the the battle of whose right. style I think right. is best. I mean, that's obviously the origins of mixed martial arts. Who was the guy with the glove? The, the boxing glove on Art one Jimerson, hand. Art Jimerson, man. That was Art Jimerson. Had a boxing glove on one Because that's what I think he says. He's like, I just have to have this. This is my punch. I don't want to have to kill anybody with this one. So I got to have a glove on it. Like, really, well, he dude. didn't. No, he didn't want to break his hand. Is that what it was? He didn't want to break his hand. So he put it on his right hand. And, and I forget then, who he fought. But he was crazy. Tapped. Yeah, that's crazy. what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was just overwhelmed. He was just like, nothing really was happening. But he just tapped just to get out of there. Yeah, hoist, hoist tapped him out quick. But that that was, you know, the early days of mixed martial arts was that that testing and it was perfectly done by the Gracie family 
It was perfectly done by the Gracie family to yeah. do that. And now I think we got a phone call. We might have a phone call coming in. I'm hoping it's Randy Couture. We'll see who it is who has a question. Hey. Hello. Turn your radio hey. down. Hello. Hey, it's Randy. Are you guys still on? Randy, how are you? Yes, you're on the air, buddy. It's the natural. All right. How, how's it going, guys? Well, we're doing great. We're glad you finally joined in. Look, did you have to break away from the cocktail party? I did. I did. <laughs> I apologize. I'm sitting with Sean Payton and a bunch of the guys from the Seahawks. Okay. I am in Indianapolis. I just landed here a couple of hours ago. I've been running a... Uh, a program called MMA Athletics for the last 12 years, me and Jay Glazer. And we come to the combines every year and talk to these coaches about indoctrinating some of these football players into uh, combative sports. Uh, they don't recognize it, but most of them are competing in a combative sport. Football is a combative sport. Right. And so we get them to start thinking about football the way a fighter would think about walking up into the cage. And it's been a very successful thing for the last 12 years. We've worked with guys from Jared Allen, Clay Matthews, Patrick Willis, just uh, literally made a difference in some of those guys' careers over the years. You know, it's, it's interesting really, you bring really that fun. up. It's interesting you bring that up because I was just approached about that to do programs for offensive and defensive linemen to teach them fundamentals of, <clears throat> excuse me, mixed martial arts. And make them better football players. It's exactly what we're doing. We've been doing that for a dozen years now. Uh, it changes by position, obviously. A, a defensive guy can use his hands differently than an offensive guy. But, right. uh, you know, we're fighters. That's what we do. We figure out those, we, you know, we figure out the rules of engagement. And, and we make it work for us. So That's great. The biggest thing is mentally uh, getting these guys to start thinking like a fighter, looking at that guy across the line. Whoever he is, you're keying off somebody across that line, and that son of a bitch better – I almost said something else. But that well, we're on, son we're of a on bitch, terrestrial radio, so you actually can't cuss. Yeah. Better have, <laughs> yeah. Better have the worst game of football he's ever had, and you're not doing your job. I mean, it's that simple. My job every time I walked up in that cage was to break that guy I was competing against. Right. And now, if I didn't break him, if I didn't mentally and physically break him, I, I never felt like I accomplished my, my entire goal. Right. And for those that are just tuning in, we have Randy Couture on. Of course, for those that don't know Randy, I don't know how many of, of you out there that wouldn't know who Randy Couture is, but three-time All-American for the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Now, you've got to be happy about their their uh, output against my Hawkeyes on Sunday, <laughs> huh, buddy, yesterday? Well, that was a big duel, and I got to go to that duel a few years back. Uh, Ryan fought. In Bellator, actually, it was the actually the last strike force in uh, in Oklahoma City, and that was on Saturday. And on Sunday, we got to go up to uh, Stillwater and watch the Iowa Oklahoma State dual meet that day. So, always an amazing event uh, in Stillwater, packed house. Uh, I, I know the guys are doing well. One of my teammates. Uh, when I was at Oklahoma State, his son is wrestling for Oklahoma State now, Dayton Fix, and he's yeah, he pinned Lee, literally one of the best. He pinned Lee, correct? Yep, that's correct. That was a that was a huge, huge match for Oklahoma State, and certainly a surprise to see Lee get pinned in that. But also, you know, look, you're the first guy to win or to hold—I shouldn't say win—to hold titles in 
uh, two weight divisions. You were three-time UFC heavyweight champion, two-time light heavyweight champion, UFC 13 tournament winner. You were in 16 world title fights. That's that's an amazing amount of title fights. And the, well, we were talking about this earlier, Randy, what I find really funny. And, and this, is, this is something about your character and how you adjusted, where you were thinking you were going to be going and trying out for the Army freestyle team, and a clerical error, error sent you to the Greco-Roman tryouts, and you still made the team. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh... It was an interesting day for sure. <laughs> so what were you thinking when, when you found out you, that you were trying out for the Greco team and not the freestyle team? Well, well I can't swear, so it was, <laughs> it was definitely one of those, you know, effort moments. <laughs> right. But yeah, okay. Well, I guess I'm on that bracket too, so I'll, you know, they're literally I just walked out the freestyle mat and they're calling my name on the Greco mat. And I was like, what the hell? And I walked. I ran up to the head table. I'm like, "What? Is, what?" They're like, "No, oh, you're you're on the Greco bracket too. Are you wrestling or not?" And I kind of had to make a decision right there on the spot. So these uh, were live matches. To, these were wrestle offs to make the team. These were. This was the fifth core championships in in Germany at the time in 1985. There were about five million U.S. soldiers stationed in Central Europe, and they had a huge uh, championship program in a bunch of sports, but wrestling was one of them, obviously because the combative nature of an individual combative sport like wrestling is right. in line with the spirit of, of what the military stands for. So wrestling was a big deal, and I ended up wrestling over there and winning a couple of those championships. So it was, it was good. And at the at the time, the Marine Corps had a, a really good Greco team. Also, Greg Gibson was was yep. the coach of of the Marine Corps Greco team at that time, and they they really did have a solid Greco team, didn't they? Uh, Greg uh, Greg was a huge staple for the Marine Corps team, and they were the team to beat in the services at that time. Gunny was uh, was the coach at that time, and and, and rest in peace, Gunny's past now, but. Uh, he was he was Greg and and all those guys coached. They they were the guys to beat. And obviously Greg is one of those few athletes, those rare athletes. He wrestled at University of Oregon and won medals in all three styles. And when I say all three styles, Sambo, Greco, and freestyle on the world level, he he won medals uh, in all three of those styles. So yeah, just doing that in one makes you guy. an animal. But all three, you are you are a, a scary yeah, he was scary just, individual. Uh, yeah, I remember in 2000 games, uh, not the games, the trials, uh, I had wrestled Greg in, in the early, this is when they changed the weight classes from 220 and 198 to 213, and uh, they changed those in 96, and so in, in 2000, I, I ended up wrestling Greg in one of the early rounds of the, of the Olympic trials, and I, I ended up beating him that's the only time i ever competed against him but and then i i was in the semifinals against garrett lowney who was this young kid from minnesota and uh i lost three to one in that in the match and come walking back i retired from from the sport of wrestling and come walking back and running to greg he was standing right there he's like yeah, you got to watch out for those young guys <laughs> i'll never forget it it was the funniest thing he was just one of those guys, but 
He was a great guy. Now let's fast forward back into mixed martial arts. There was a tournament that very few know about over in Japan in the rings organization called the King of Kings tournament that I think still to this day is probably the greatest martial arts tournament that I'd ever seen. Uh, one of my athletes competed in it. You and Jeremy Horn actually fought during that, that tournament. Dan Henderson ended up winning that tournament. It was it was a who's who of the absolute baddest men walking the planet, and I'm sure you have pretty pretty fond memories of that whole that whole tournament. Absolutely. Dan Dan won it the year before, the very first year okay. they had it. And and I was cornering Dan for that and he fought okay. Nogueira in the final. Um He the lost next his year teeth they in that fight, it. right? Uh I lost to Overeem in the semifinals. Uh Valentine, the bigger the one, finals. right? Yeah, Valentine, the other brother that nobody knows. Hmm. Um one of those, you know, classic wrestling mistakes. He took a horrible shot. Uh, double leg and ended up on my knees and and Valentine caught me in a, in a guillotine choke. Um, so I mean, you know, again, those. I think, in my opinion, those losses are way more important than the wins. And, right, right. And learning to analyze and figure out what you did wrong and how to correct those mistakes and and make sure or try to make sure that those don't happen again are are, are way more important. Than the times that that you won, I, I never watched those fights I won, but I guarantee you I watched the ones I lost. Interesting, hundreds was, of times. Yeah, and was was Kerry Shaw in that year or the previous year? I'm trying to remember. Remember Meat Truck? Kerry Shaw. Meat they truck. called him Meat I Truck. I think he was in. I think he was in the year before. Okay, because the the year that Fedora Melienko came on the scene was. Kerry Shaw fought him in the first round of the King of Kings tournament, either that year or the year. But I'm trying to remember the exact huh. year. But that was. Yeah, that I don't was remember. When... I don't remember Fedor in, in Danny's year. And, okay, and so I, it was the, the I year. Definitely before. don't remember Fedor. I don't remember Fedor in the year I was in either. Well, what happened um, was what happened was is the Kerry Shaw weighed in with him and laughed at him basically and said, this guy looks like a janitor. This guy's a joke. <laughs> and, and so nobody knew anything about Fedor at the time. Nobody had ever seen him. And, mm. and Kerry went out and got knocked out in like 28 seconds. Fedor destroyed Overhand him. right, let me guess. Well, yeah, and, and came back. <laughs> we, we came back to the locker room, and Kerry, Kerry said, I have never in my life felt power like that in my – I've never even remotely felt power like that. He just, wow. you know, with the left side of his head completely swollen up and yeah, got got wrecked. But yeah, that was that was kind of the rings organization. At least was where where Fedor made his made his debut, and it was a it was a great organization. Okay. There was a lot of fun back then. But you've done a lot of acting since your fight career, and tell us tell us a little bit about you know what your thoughts are and on that transition and whether you you know has it been easy since. Well, you're... you know, it's funny because. I, I see folks now that have been acting and, and I've been acting now for 20 years. My first, my first acting gig was in 1998, a movie called Cradles of the Grave. And right. me and Chuck and Tito all got an opportunity to act in that movie. I had one line in the movie and I can't say it cause there's a swear word, <laughs> <laughs> nice. but you got your SAG uh, card. You got your SAG go card. Chicken. Yeah. You get the idea. Uh, uh, so it was a really, really interesting experience, and I immediately became intrigued with the process of of acting in this whole thing. And and now, 20 years later, I think I've done 38 
uh, wow. feature films and a, and a variety of, of TV shows. Um, just finished a World War II movie called uh, uh, Dog Company about D-Day and, and landing on the beach and wow. at Point Du Hawk and trying to scale those cliffs and and all of that. So it was fun, obviously, for me as a former army guy to, to get to play a character in, in that film. Um, I, I hopefully we stay on track and we get to do Expendables 4 here in, in June. That's what they're saying right now. So Great. Uh, that's obviously been the biggest film I've been involved with in, in my career as an actor. Uh, but I'm having a lot of fun continuing to ferret out new ways to emote things and, and to be, you know, a real actor. You, right. you know, a director's job is to create this scenario that's not real uh, so that actors can find a way to tell the truth, to, to, to be real in those situations. That's always the trick. When last time uh, we hung out, Randy, this is Jeffrey, by the way, we were up at the, the penthouse panel and, um, just chopping it up during the Q&A session I moderated. And um, <clears throat> I, you were talking about the Expendables and kind of your acting career. And I was asking you about just being around like the level of heavy hitters that you were around. And you kind of alluded to the fact that it was, you know, pr- pretty chill set. You know what I mean? It wasn't a lot of uh, whatever you whatever term you want to call it, like, you know, oh, my God, star moments. And talk to us a little bit about working with all those kind of heavy hitters on a set like that. Well, everybody assumes that there would be a bunch of bravado and, and BS right. on, on a set with a bunch of guys like Stallone and Schwarzenegger and Willis and all these kind of guys that have been marquee guys in the, in the industry for more than 30 years, many of them. And, and it actually wasn't like that at all. It was, it was, I felt like I was back on my high school football team and we're in the locker room telling jokes and, and acting up and then putting on our, our crap and going out and doing you know doing our job doing the things we we prepared to do so it was a lot of fun it was a great group of guys Uh, i'm always excited for the next one because you get to see those guys again and i haven't seen many of those guys you know it's been what five years six years now since we've done expendables three so um it, it will be great to see those guys again to catch up with those guys again uh, obviously, I, I track what they're doing. I see the, certainly the different things that Sly's been up to, but, but Jason Statham and all the rest of those guys, too. Yeah. It's just a great group of guys. Jason Statham, I mean, when I stumbled across the Transporter, the first Transporter movie, I, I instantly became a fan of that. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think the remarkable thing about Jason is that he was never a combative sports athlete. He was a diver. Right. Really, incredible, acrobatic, incredible athlete. Huh. Yeah, acrobatic had had that, that that athletic sense about him, and he figured out how to how to translate that to to the film and and being a martial artist. I mean, most guys in real life wouldn't want to stand against him, and he'd be the first one to tell you that he's not really a fighter. But he could fight. You can tell. You can tell he's oh, got that mindset. No he's got that winner's mindset. And I I stumbled upon. Uh, across Jason Statham at a UFC one time. It was the day of the event, and he was sitting down at a table eating. And I walked by, and he goes, hey, champ. And I looked down, and I went, Jason Statham just called me champ. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is incredible. Yeah. So, and then he was kind of taken back by, I, I swarmed him. I'm like, oh, my God, he's, <laughs> i got to talk to you. <laughs> he fanboyed out. The champ I did. Fanboyed. I fanboyed out on him. He kind of lost it. But, it, you know, 
and Randy, are you open to taking any calls if anybody calls in here? Yeah, of uh, course, no problem. Okay, okay. We don't we don't know if we've got the line open yet, but I, I got a question. I mean, obviously, you've seen the growth of the sport, man. It's changed so much, and like you, you, Pat said, you've done it all. You both have seen, you know, really it all. If, if you have a certain, you know, w- was there a certain title win that was the you know most gratifying for you, or a certain time in your career that was the most gratifying for you? Well, I, you know, I had I had a, a couple of pretty remarkable kind of benchmark fights. Um, in my career, certainly. And I think the one that set the tone for my entire career was the first time I fought Vito Belfort. Yep. And I don't think anybody gave me a snowball's chance in hell. Well, I, bet that fight. I bet on you. And, and uh, you're probably one of the few, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that kind of set the tone for, for my entire career in a lot of ways. I have to say, and, you know, Pat knows – Big Tim well, but the, the Tim Sylvia fight in Ohio was absolutely one of my favorite fights. Uh, you know, again, nobody really gave me much chance. I was 44, coming out of retirement after 13 months, fighting a guy the size of Tim Sylvia. <laughs> in, in, at that time, the biggest crowd we had had in North America had about 22,000 people, and that crowd was remarkable. Yeah. And, that was just an amazing night, and and you know I just got a chance to reconnect with Tim recently at a at a charity motorcycle ride of mine in Quad Cities, and yeah, it was just really good to see him, and and uh, you know it was just one of those nights. It, everything kind of fell in line, and it just it just worked out. Well, the overhand right certainly fell in line, Randy. <laughs> That one did land. I, will I say worked that. a lot on that one. <laughs> left, in, left inside kick, overhand right, left hook. Yes, yes. And now, was wasn't it, there for the left hook. Was yeah, he he, he was falling. So <laughs> he was. But he was, was there a you know because this show this is everything combat is the name of it, but because life is a fight, it's not about actual fighting, but just life in general about overcoming hardships, things like that. You know, was there a moment in your life, your early development, where you where it just clicked in your head, where you said, "You know what? I'm going to be a winner. I'm, I'm dedicated to this, and I'm going to be a winner in life, no matter what it is I'm going to do." And how how did that come about for you? Well, it, it's that's an interesting question, and it's funny because I'm sitting here in Indianapolis at the combines, meeting with a bunch of uh, football coaches, NFL football coaches, talking about our our you know, MMA athletics program, uh, training football players using combative sports as a way to make them better football players. And uh, for me, certainly um, joined the sport of wrestling because I'd heard my whole life what a great wrestler my dad was. And I had uh, limited contact and limited exposure with my father, so I thought, well, hell, if I turn out for wrestling, maybe... Maybe he'll come around. Maybe he'll pay attention. Interesting. That didn't happen. Uh, he never saw me wrestle. Not a single match. Wow. Uh, but I found my I found my calling. I found the thing that I was good at. I found the thing that that I gravitated towards. That that kind of clicked with me, and and that led to ultimately setting a goal and winning a state championship my senior year in high school at, at Linwood Linwood High School in Washington. Um. And it's funny because I ended up getting my my girlfriend pregnant uh, after high school, 
um, quit college to to join the service to support a new family and and I thought that wrestling was gone you know it was done it was the chances of making the Olympic team to doing any of those things was was all but gone and and uh, you just never know what's in store for you I ended up stationed in Central Europe in Germany at the time in in the 80s and there was five million soldiers stationed in Central Europe at that time they had huge sports programs and ended up wrestling again and ended up winning a U.S. Army Europe championship in wrestling for the Army and that put me on the all army wrestling team to to be qualified for the Olympic trials in nineteen eighty eight. I mean you just don't know what's in store for you. You have to keep an open mind and open right. heart and, and and be true to to who you are and what your passions are. And ultimately that'll end up getting you where you need to be. And that's something I tell and, I tell people all the time, Randy, is what you think you're going to be doing hmm. ten years from now, twenty years from now as many times not even remotely the world right. that you're going to be living in. And, it, you know, it, it's definitely happened to me. It's happened to many other guys that we've had on the show where, you know, I'm on TV talking all the time. I was the kid that was afraid to give a speech to the speech class, and I would give it to just the teacher because I was terrified to speak in front of people, and now I'm on TV talking. I had no plans of being on TV whatsoever, but it, but it happened. And obviously for you, it, it really – that's that reoccurring thing of keep your keep your mind open and recognize the opportunities when they come at you no matter what they look like you've got to recognize them yeah absolutely you don't know what doors are going to open you 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 do your best to sort that out and and talk to people you genuinely care about and those are the people that matter when you start fighting those are the people that are going to matter they remember you when you you know rode a freaking 10 speed to school every day or or you were driving a honda escort <laughs> a honda escort a ford escort around town uh before you ever you know got any accolades or, or or received any fame those are the people that know you for who you are yeah. and so keeping those people in your life staying close to those people because they they genuinely know who you are is really really important and staying true and remembering your roots, who you were, who yeah. who you were, how it all got started, and keeping that fresh in your mind definitely is is something that's. Well, that's what very do they important. say? Victory, victory has a thousand fathers. Defeat is an orphan. You know, like you said, it's always good to keep that keep that crew around you. Um, but it's something yeah. a huge part of it, Randy, is something you have is definitely a champ. You have it too, Pat. You know, a can do attitude. You know what I mean? Like you, you know, you went to the Olympic trials three times and were placed in alternate, but you never, never once gave up. Or, you know, you said what set the tone was one of your first fights in the UFC. To me, you know, when you were kind of thrown into that, thrown into that loop with the Greco tournament and won, and you were not expected to win. I mean, you, you've obviously had that kind of can do attitude throughout your life and career. Randy's a little distracted at the moment. Sorry about it. No, I'm not distracted. Sorry oh, about that. Right. Well, I mean, if you, if you've got a, a head coach of an NFL team barking at you, you probably should probably should listen to him a little bit. But I mean, so, so well, so, you know, that, that's been a fun thing to 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 uh, impart uh, our fighters' mindset, our fighters' mindset on some of these NFL players. Right, and what, uh, what, know, besides uh, the mindset, what will you be working skill set wise with them? I mean, you're working, you know, probably hand fighting, pummeling, angles, absolutely. understanding that. You're absolutely that. right, Pat. You're absolutely right. Uh, pummeling, 
hand fighting, arm drags, hammer fists, using, using, instead of just using your hands, dropping hammer fists on those arms that attach themselves to you and, and, and making it a little more violent, a little more brutal. But the biggest, biggest thing is making these guys two minute, go three minute goes and five minute goes. You know, they used, used to go in 10 seconds. 10 seconds, goes. absolutely. The and they've had people tell them their entire lives since they were in high school that their poop don't stink, frankly. And, and, and then my little 220 pound ass <laughs> comes in, knocks them down and, and holds them down and they can't figure it out. And uh, just adjusting their perception, making them recognize that they're engaged in a combative sport, and then using some of our mindset and some of our hand skills to improve their game has been a mm. huge thing for a lot of them. Yeah. Now I'm going to jog your memory a little bit about a gentleman that I, I really loved him a lot, and I know you did too, and he, he had passed away here not that long ago, unfortunately. The suicide was Robert Fallas, a guy that helped – you know, helped so much with Team Quest and and also with with Extreme Couture with the team that you were building down in Vegas. And, and you know, it was very sad for me to find out. And he had sent me a message literally a couple days before um, he had committed suicide. You know, asked me how I was doing, and, and we had text back and forth a little bit. And I, you know, he didn't he didn't seem like I think it was just like I think he made the rounds of saying that was his goodbye to a bunch of people. You know, and it, it was. It was very sad when I found out, you know, that he had committed suicide, and and I thought, man, was that was that him just saying goodbye? And did you get text messages from him? Um, not- well, I uh, I didn't get a text before I before that went down. I think he knew better. What what, what he calculated and what he pulled off was, I mean, he really thought it out and. You have to know Robert, and you have to know Robert's history and his upbringing with the JWs, uh, Jehovah's Witness, if you don't know what that stands for. But yeah, yeah. Uh, really kind of uh, created this backdrop of, of Robert was never worthy and never good enough. And, and that's the thing about, uh, gosh, I don't want to call it depression because Robert wasn't depressed. I mean... If you were around Robert, he was the most gregarious, upbeat, you know, yeah, amazing always. coach you would ever meet. Yeah. And, and so to say that he was depressed would be, a, I don't think that's accurate. And uh, But I, he dragged around this baggage uh, from his upbringing with his parents and his siblings that, that just it just never left him. It was one of the things that motivated him. And in some ways made him the amazing coach and the amazing man that he was. And at the same time, what was his undoing? What was the thing that ultimately caught up with him and he couldn't escape? And it was a, one of those tragic things. And you'd like to tell yourself that, oh, God, I wish you would have called me. I could have I helped. I but I don't honestly think that there's anybody that was going to change his mind about, about what happened. And, you know, <laughs> the rest of us are left. And here's the thing with suicide. And, and I don't want to disparage Robert at all because I love Robert. But you take everything that you're struggling with, everything that, that is messing you up, and you multiply it by 10 
and then you give it to everybody else that you love. That's what happens when you commit suicide. It is. That's it the is. truth. Yeah, unfortunately. And, and uh, you know, maybe Robert didn't look at it that way. And I, I know too well. I was too close. I, I know... I know the history. I know the background. I, I've met his siblings. I've met some of them after the fact, uh, some of them before the fact. But uh, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change my perception. As, as much respect and as much as I admired Robert and as much as he helped me in my journey and my career as a champion and a fighter, I, I, I just I can't abide by his his final act and what and what happened. So yeah, yeah. Wow. And, you know, and I, I had two older brothers commit suicide, so I I know what that what that can do, the impact, the ripple effect that it has through, you know, not only the family but friends' lives, and and it's it, it is it's a very painful experience to 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 hand off to everybody else after you're gone, and so that's the thing that I tell people is, you know, I've had you know plenty of rough spots in life, um, you know, all of us have. And we ha- we we really have to take and put things in perspective, and just and just keep moving forward. Do our best to keep moving forward, no matter how tough things are, no matter how bleak things look, whether it's you know your financial, your health, whatever it is, you know, most of the time we can do something about it. Um, we can we can change our mindset, we can be positive, and we can do the right things, you know, to to change the patterns that have been created, and you know that that guilt that is that uh, a lot of people deal with. You got to let go of that stuff, you know, and that's that's the yeah. thing that this show is about is about you know turning things around in your life, being positive, and just doing the best you can, man. Because Absolutely. because you know ultimately it it really comes down to to you know the 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 legacy that we leave, no matter what it is. You know, you want people to say, you know what, they 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 tried, they gave they gave it their best, they gave it their all, no matter where we ended up. You know, we don't know where we're going to end up tomorrow, Randy, but by golly, we're going to keep trying. Damn straight. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, so. And I would, I would take that one step further. And, and you, every person you meet, you just don't know. You don't know what's going on inside them. Right. And, and, and smiling, a simple smile. You cannot believe how, how far that will go sometimes to smile at somebody, to greet somebody. You know what? You go to Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or wherever you live every day. You know what? Get to know that person's name on the other side of the counter. Right. They're wearing a name tag for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. You wonder why customer service went to shit. It's because you're talking on your phone when you're trying to order your coffee. Put your goddamn phone down <laughs> and, and get to know somebody. Right. Get to know the person across from you. Prank call. Words, prank of, call. words of wisdom from Randy <laughs> Couture. I love it, buddy. And hey. So this is going to end our hour, man. We we really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy man. Uh, tell all those NFL boys we love them and uh, keep smashing into each other and, and make sure they pay attention to you and <laughs> learn a little something about what a, what a real warrior is all about. And, and uh, Randy, how can people reach you on social media, follow you, find out what's up? Natural underscore Couture on Twitter, XCNatch, XCNatch on, on uh, Instagram. And then Randy Randy Couture on uh, Facebook. So, all right, brother. Well, we appreciate your time. You go enjoy yourself with the NFL coaches. Thank and, you, sir. Thank you very impart much. Some, impart some knowledge on the NFL. On the NFL. Thanks, over. guys. We'll keep teaching these guys how to be warriors. There you go. You, out. you take care of yourself, Randy. Thank Thanks, you, guys. brother. Be well. See you, bud. Well, Jeff, that he, was awesome. We finally got through to him. Yeah, he it all we, worked out. It we, all seems to work out. No we, matter what. We, I think we interrupted uh, the natural social hour there. He was. I heard some <laughs> ladies' voices in the back there. Some libations going yeah, on over there. Huh? Gosh, yeah, the life so. of Randy Couture.